Hello, I'm Olivia Braffman and welcome to If She Can, I Can, the podcast that aims to edge all of us ambitious women that little bit closer to navigating how on earth we get the high-flying career we love and have kids without totally burning yourself out. And challenges the role society thinks we're supposed to play in it all. How? By talking each week to inspiring women who have proven the statistic wrong and have done just that. Let's get into it. Today, I'm joined by Chloe Pierre, community catalyst, changemaker, award-winning creator, and mother of one. She is the founder of Thyself, a disruptive wellness platform and brand launched in 2018, and the author of revolutionary new book, Take Care, A Black Woman's Guide to Wellness. This was all inspired by Chloe struggling to find a space that resonated with her within wellness as a black woman. Her mission then became to make wellness more approachable and accessible to the people that its origins are derived from. Chloe's background in PR and marketing sees her now consulting with some of the biggest brands of today, including Nike, BBC and H&M, and her events and keynote speeches are taking this industry by storm. Chloe, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. You need to introduce me to everyone going forward. You're incredible. Well, this is all you. So it's very easy to it's very easy to say when you've done all these amazing things. I've been very excited to speak to you because you have an interesting story. You are every time I follow you, you're kind of doing so many different things that interest me. And generally the life of a creator kind of interests me. I want to start from the beginning. So childhood, growing up, what was life like for you? And what were some of the kind of character defining influences that made you the person that you are today? Yeah, for sure. So I was born in a place called Rumford. And I pretty much lived between my grandmother's house, which I forced (laughs) that upon my family. I was really, and still to this day, I'm pretty close to my grand, but families have their issues and ours definitely has them in the last couple of years. So I grew up between my grand's house, which was in Hackney and Stoke Newington to be exact. And then my mum and dad's home in Essex. My mum and dad broke up just before I started secondary school. My younger brother, he has a disability. So he was diagnosed with epilepsy from around the age of three. And it's unfortunately a rare form. So growing up, seeing your brother and your mum spending so much time in hospital, it gave me a different view of the world. And from an early age, I guess I was exposed to just the medical institution, what that looks like for families, how hard it is. You know, that was at a time he was born in 1991. So yeah, it looked very different to what it looks like now. But I definitely think that's made me the person I am today. It's made me quite empathetic. It's made me be a lot more comfortable speaking about things that are traumatic or emotional. It's just given me a sense of how to comfort people Mm. and to connect. That's what I would say. It's made me very open and I'm very grateful for that experience, although it was very traumatic. 
So I went to primary school in Highbury. I wouldn't say that I'm an Arsenal fan, but it just follows me everywhere I go. Um, I went to Catholic schools growing up, so secondary and primary school and secondary school. I went to an all-girls secondary school in Highgate called La Santa Union. It was chaotic. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I don't know if the school was best suited to me. What I would say about my childhood is that in some senses, I was very privileged for my demographic. And I had a good upbringing in terms of education, but I think it would have been better to place me in a more of a creative environment, Mm. smaller environment. But at the same time, I'm very glad that I wasn't just brought up where I live. So I wasn't just brought up in Essex. I wasn't just brought up in Hackney. My mum made an effort to make sure that I went to schools outside of that. And I do have to praise her for that Mm. because it meant that I could see the world through different lenses I had so much exposure to different class systems which is very important growing up in the UK and not everyone has access to especially not even in London you know and I'm very grateful for that because it has made me the person I am today I get to see different cultures different communities how to navigate those so I'm very adaptable I'm very good at connecting and it means that, yeah, I can connect with loads of different people from loads of different backgrounds. I could resonate with them, which is definitely a skill that I don't see a lot of people have. Yeah. And when I speak about inclusivity and diversity, it would look like my upbringing, you know, and it's still not something that I see everyone have access to. So I really push forward the fact that I am privileged in that sense. No, it's incredible. And, and I guess, has the potential to lead you down so many different paths because those skills are so beneficial in so many different careers, roles. Did you always anticipate being your own boss? You do so much. You do PR, you do events, you do public speaking, you've written a book, business owner. You know, these are all things that I guess when, when we were at school, and I'm kind of guesstimating your age being similar to mine, when we were at school, it's just, it's not on the job list. No. Of like, what do you want to do with your life? All of those things, you don't assume you can do all those things as one career. What what did you kind of anticipate doing when you were kind of growing up in those kind of school, end of school years? What I would say to start off with is that my mum is quite entrepreneurial. So I have seen that growing up. I just think she didn't have the tools and resources that I have today and also the tools and resources that I didn't have. So it was a lot different for her growing up. She was born in the 60s. So she taught me a lot just by how proactive she was. She was like the Avon lady. She is very good at sewing. So she taught me how to sew. She was always upholstering people's, you know, sofas. There was nothing too big. There's nothing she can't do. And I took that and although I'm not the best at sewing, I'm very good at directing. I'm very good at having a creative lead. And she definitely brought that out of me. I remember being very young and asking to make a doll and you wouldn't just answer as a kid and your parents wouldn't always, not everyone's parent is able to do that. If my son said that to me, I'd be like, oh, let's go to Nana's. But she told me to get scraps. She showed me how to do it, but she also, without realizing, probably taught me how to be more of a leader. Mm. I think being the eldest of two children 
slash free when it came to my cousin, I was always the leader. I always had to lead by example. So I think all of those things created the person that I am today, but I was never encouraged to be a leader, if that makes sense. I was at home to be a role model, but not necessarily to own my own company. And I had a lot of issues once I really stepped into that field, I guess about five years ago, having the acceptance from my family. I may have got it now. I wouldn't say I fully have. They they don't want to understand what I do. Is it like just go and get a job, have the security of someone employing you? Yeah, and I did do that. So my, I always started off, so your question, what I anticipated was being someone's support. I was obviously very good at being supportive. Um, I come from a background where women are very strong, but they're in supportive roles. You know, as a woman, we're naturally good at communication and we're naturally good at supporting. So that was always the lead that I went down. There was talk of me being a lawyer, I guess, because I was very (laughs) argumentative, maybe, or um, very self-assured when I was young. And I wish I had that self-confidence still. I don't. Yeah, I was meant to be in a support role. I went to an all-girls school as a secondary school. It was run by nuns. There was no talk of being a business owner. It was always being the admin, being the secretary. That was a cool position. Wow. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It was always a support position. So when I left school, I thought I'm going to maybe be a PA, which there's nothing wrong with that. I did do it, but I wasn't as organized as I am now. So I didn't do it very well. I did do admin roles. And I think that's helped me run a business to this day. I'm really good at that. Um, But I just knew that I didn't really like being told what to do. I always could find a better way of doing things. So that's what led me down this path. So entrepreneurship was kind of, I guess, your destiny. People always say that entrepreneurs are often unemployable, as in they're so, (laughs) do you know what I mean? It's like, no one will employ me because no one can tell me what to do. I have my own way of doing things, so I'll just employ myself. And maybe that's the case for you, I don't know. That's what a lot of people say. (laughs) That's made so much sense to me now. I always looked at being unemployable as something that I was lacking. And, you know, even to this day, when I have interviews, I talk about, you know, working with brands like Nike and consulting with them and working with them on a freelance basis, but never being employed by them despite interviewing. And, you know, that really hurt me. And that's probably why I've kept that conversation going till this day. But it makes sense now. I think I'd be incredible at Nike and you never know, I could be there when I'm like 40 and then that would be really great for the inclusivity mark. But I do think to some degree, I, if I was to be employed by someone, it would be someone that really believes in me, like running a business and doing it for them and thinking outside of the box, not being tied to a desk. I would need flexibility. I have a son now, but even before my son, I need flexibility because to be a creative, to be someone that's inventing and innovating, you need that space. Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. I can't be tied to a desk. I can't be in the office five days a week. I always knew that that was just rubbish. So even now when I see or people talk about hybrid roles, like I would love to work for a company because I love people. I love working with people, but there's just nothing so far that I've seen that suits me. And I do think my experience as well as my online presence intimidates people 
and that's always been the case for me when it comes to the interview process I've gone for jobs and seen the people that they employ afterwards and I'm like but I could do everything that they could do even better I've literally applied for jobs and been sent emails by the person that's actually got the role and they can't string a sentence together there's huge typos there's errors and I'm like but you didn't employ me yeah maybe there's just like an assumption of because you've got a big profile you've got a lot of follower you know it's, there's just an assumption as to like what that comes with if you were to be employed by someone like, I wonder if there is a kind of stigma against it maybe but even before the bigger profile it was always an issue like having a blog was an issue pushing companies to use social media was an issue there was always an issue so I think it's more down to that person or the interviewers I guess insecurities and not wanting to have not just a big personality, but that kind of thinker on the team. The office needs or the work culture needs to be able to, you know, nurture that. And I just don't think that's something that a lot of employers can do and do well. And clearly you, you've not seen it and you you chose the entrepreneurial journey and I want to talk about that. Was it this sort of big leap of faith one day that you were like, I'm just going to commit to working for myself? Or was it a kind of slow process that ended you up in this journey what did the whole journey look like to get to where you are now I think it was a slow process so as I said so I my first job was 15 working on Roman Road Market on a weekend um my mum's friend had a store and then a shop so I worked there so working from early and then I went to Sainsbury's and I won't give you the whole run through but I've done a lot of jobs whether that's retail, in the office, you know, my last role before taking that first step into the creative field. was actually working in a trading company on the trading floor as a secretary, though. And that was incredible. And that role meant that I could, I was already living by myself. So I've lived by myself since I was 16. I was always taking care of myself, paying bills, that kind of thing. But that job really gave me financial stability. It was at that point that I kind of like crossed a different marker. And it was great. And I noticed instantly how great it was to be able to afford things and, you know, treat myself to like my first pair of loop plans and things like that. And being 21 at the time, that was wild. But it wasn't fulfilling. And I wasn't enjoying being spoken to as just a secretary. And it's so funny, there's a few people that I've stayed in touch with since those days. And, you know, they're so supportive me a lot of guys as well that are like wow you've like really done amazing things you know and you really turned your career around because from then I spent I gave myself two years to craft a career in PR and marketing I didn't know where it would take me but I knew that I was going to be good at it I watched Laguna Beach (laughs) everyone's inspiration (laughs) and I was like I can do this but I never saw anyone that looked like me that could do it or that was in those fields So I ventured out and I gave myself two years. I literally worked probably a year and a half before I got my first fully paid role, before that was travel and expenses. I mean, is this working for yourself in that? No, no, this was, yeah, well, I guess I was essentially a freelancer at the time, but I was working as an intern, but that is essentially freelancing for some really huge brands, Asia Printer, I also interned at Exposure. Again, none of these places offered me roles afterwards, Calvin Klein, but I just worked my way up and I said, you know, I'm going to give myself two years to do that. And I remember so much happened. My brother got really ill towards the end of that two years and I had to 
kind of take on that kind of role and supporting him and my family. But I really just kept on going. But I think two years was too long to be interning, especially at the age of 21. I was essentially quite old. But it just goes to show how exclusive the industry was. And I was up against people that came from a way more privileged background than me, that they could afford to do that. They probably got the internship because someone gave them the connection or someone asked for them to have that internship where I had to apply for that. And I spent two years doing that. And as I said, I was living by myself. I had to pay bills. I was essentially like still under social services care because I was still quite young at that time. So it was a lot, but I'm very proud of that experience because it meant that I got my hands dirty. I learned things that people in internships won't learn today. The importance of getting people's names right, knowing certain systems of how to recognize people, knowing the brands, knowing the companies, knowing what they really stand for. And so I I just use that time. You know, I've got a great editorial eye. I always say that I've got like creative uh, intellect, which is not something that every creative has. I can sit in between being logical and being creative, which is a really good skill to have, especially when you're running a business. Um, so yeah, I I take some of the most troubled years and I turn that into a positive because yes, it was hard. Yes, I went through a lot. Yes, I was very scared. I would, you know, I was living every day like hand to mouth, wondering, you know, will I make it? Will I get to a certain level and so to be here today it's been amazing the resilience you must have learned from having that time you don't even realize at the time what it what it's building in you as a like from a character standpoint exactly and I you know again if I draw back on you know my ancestry like regardless of where I went that I always had to have that resilience it's it's a survival technique and it's something that has been passed down by generations because so many people haven't made it you know and to be here to this day Yes, my family don't get it, but it's almost because they, they've never had the privilege of this independence. You know, my mum and my grandmother, did they have the opportunity to really go out and say, you know, I'm going to start from scratch, I'm going to do this. There was the chance to do it, but it just wasn't readily available to a lot of people. And even to myself, it wasn't. Maybe to my son, it will be, and I really hope it is. But it was a very different landscape. So I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of that resilience. I do definitely accredit it to who I come from, the lineage I come from. And I'm very, very honoured to be passing that on. I would say as well with my career, I did want to choose, I knew that I was going to have a family one day. And I did think once I was in the kind of PR world, well, I need to stick at it and I need to develop. and I need to be innovative because this kind of role will mean that I can still be a mum and not work for someone else which I did see a lot in the PR industry. People would, you know, get married, have children and then kind of fall mm. off the scene, find it really hard to come back. For some of them, very luckily, they were so well connected, which comes down to privilege again, is that they're already connected. They were connected by birth or the way that they've been brought up. So they can start companies because they already know the people that are working for the brand. They already know how it works the organization, how that works. And I just thought, I'm going to learn that by hook or by crook. I'm going to figure it out. And what I don't learn, I'm just going to have to learn on the job. Yeah, that's why I'm here today, I think. So you did those two years, you land a job at the end. What kind of 
was the pathway to you getting to where you are now, where you're working with these brands, you have the opportunity, like you write a book, you, you've done so much stuff. How did this kind of grow? Well, I think from when I left the internship and I literally went to one company that was my first employed full-time contractor job, um, it was actually there that my manager told me that I'm so bad at writing that I couldn't really have a job in PR, let alone be a writer. So I'll never forget that. Her name was Sophie Holmes. And I literally search her out every now and then. I'm like, where is she? I would love to see her and be like, look what I did because it was such, that was so nasty. Wow. It was so unnecessary. It was our PR manager, PR director, and she was awful. But that job, I remember sitting down, there was another girl that she was interning from the US and we're still in touch today. And she was like, this is like bullshit. They're so horrible. And I was like, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to start a blog. So I started a blog and it just grew. It just grew. And I started using my connections to get invited to events, which meant that I had access to brands and I could connect with people. And PR was already that kind of landscape anyway, where you connect. So I connected with all the people that were on my level. So they are now editors. You know, I always speak to Donna Wallace, who is now accessories editor at Vogue. And I was literally speaking to her the other day. And I was like, you don't understand how much I've followed your career because I would see you at events. I would make sure you was on the list of things and seeing you go from assistant to editor. It's incredible. And she was like, wow. And I'm like, yeah, because even, you know, for me, maybe there's people out there that's on my name and, you know, push the envelope for me and I didn't even know who they were I didn't even know their names I didn't even know who they looked like but they were essentially rooting for me and it's really nice to be at this position now and see that and say okay you know as much as I was doing that for someone else someone was doing that for me and essentially I am a leader in some respects I don't need to be the foremost I don't need to be the first point of call at least I'm the person that someone can relate their career to that they can feel empowered by wow yeah so the blog really was the catalyst to you kind of exploring so many different other avenues. Yeah, and it encouraged me to write as well. Again, something that someone said I was so bad at, it just made me want to do better. And I, I did love think, that. Yeah, it, I did think, well, you know, I can get better at that. And, you know, I think about all the things and I'm going to be quite vulnerable here, like all the things that I have found quite triggering, which people have said to me, like, so I'm not a good writer you know that I'm fat all of these things I've kind of turned them around and it's because I can always lose weight and I did was I happy not necessarily you know did I was I more connected to my body definitely not was it unhealthy yes you know all of these things have spurred me to be the person I am to today you know I was told I was bad at writing I created a blog mm. now I've got a book that's well, like punching the air you know, <laughs> exactly that's and that's all because of the work that I've done. And I can't say that that's, yes, it was given to me. Someone connected me, you know, someone, the publisher contacted me. But that's through my work, you know, through the company that I built by myself when everyone said it wouldn't work or that, you know, there's no space for someone like me in the wellness industry. I was like, right, okay, cool, I'm going to do that. The sad thing is, is that people have said the most horrific things to me that they wouldn't say to other people that I've constantly have to push against, that I constantly do push against. It, it's a lot and it's really unkind and I just don't understand where, what they get from that because I'm a very 
firm believer of like what you put out is what you get. So if you're putting that out, it's just insane. That's not the person that I will ever be. No, and it's often, you know, it's people, people project. So whatever they put out is what they're internally struggling with, you know, and how they treat people is like how they treat themselves. Yeah, but also by doing that, they're gatekeeping and they're gatekeeping, like they're keeping industries like essentially yeah just just so not diverse you can't innovate if your team is not diverse and yeah I say this constantly and it's just it's just insane like it's just insane well I want to talk about wellness which is obviously what you have dedicated so much of your career to and I think a lot of your past experiences probably led you to as well I've actually worked in wellness for the last decade and it's an industry that I'm so so passionate about I don't know if it was the same for you I often see people have a kind of trigger that gets them into wellness so whether it's something that like impacts their own physical or mental health and then they explore different solutions and they end up getting really passionate about it and then kind of follow it and that that was the case for me anyway why did you decide that wellness was going to be an area that you really wanted to focus on I didn't know if I really wanted to focus on it it was more like I was pushed into this direction because I was frustrated I was frustrated that I was going through a really tough time I had broken up with a very long-term partner it's one of my first serious relationships I hadn't had many actually it was my first serious relationship that broke down I felt as if I was turning 30 oh my god I felt like my whole life had just changed I like lost my job I was still working I was still like freelancing but in between jobs I was just trying to find my way I would say that I'm the most stable I have been as a freelancer or an entrepreneur in the last five years prior to that I was just like picking up jobs doing what I can to you know build my career but also just to survive yeah everything turned on its head and it was such a pivotal point in my career in my life I felt lost and I thought what could I do I could do what I've always ever done and you know people said to me oh it's a breakup to get over a breakup, you have to get underneath someone or whatever. And I was like, no to that. I had someone say to me that, you know, just go out, party, meet people, da, da, da. that's going to help you. And I just, I've done all of those things and it just wasn't enough. So I sought out wellness and self-care kept on coming up, the phrase. But then when I looked on social media, it was always packaged in a product or it was advertised as just someone that didn't look like me, like a community of people that just never looked like me. So luckily for me, in some sense, I was able to access wellness facilities, some of the big brands that we know today, and I would go there. But because I look like the way I do, I was one of very few, if at all. There was just no one that looked like me in those spaces. It meant that doing yoga or those practices, if it became difficult for me, I was almost singled out. I remember going to Fiercely Grace Yoga and I was so excited to go. My mum had actually given me um, a year's membership. And on my first session, I went in there and I couldn't do some of the exercises. And because they speak on a, uh, a microphone, she was literally just like yelling at me the whole session and pointing me out as if I couldn't do things rather than trying to adapt it. So in that case, there was no inclusivity. There was no adapting, which makes me wonder if that was me as someone that maybe it's just my flexibility. Maybe it's that I am bigger, I am more plus size, I am more curvier. What if that was someone that had a disability? Are they just completely eliminated from that? Which means that are they completely eliminated from well-being? That was wrong. So whether that was based on my race, 
my ability. I was just, I hated it. And from those moments and from being the only black person or the only black woman or the only black plus size person, it felt so wrong. And I felt as if I had to do something about it. So my first point of call was to make a community where we could go to these things together, almost like an army, so that one, it would feel like a movement, but two, it would mean that we would feel safe going to these spaces because I knew that I wasn't alone. I wasn't alone because there was no one like that at any session I went to. The trainers didn't look like that. I have barely seen a person of colour teaching sessions prior to 2018. There were very few. Now it's a different story. And so I just set out to do that. I didn't set out to make a company or to do anything on this scale or bigger. I just wanted to make a community that we could access wellness a lot better. And from that, it led me to see the inequalities, how far they stretch and using my PR marketing knowledge and business knowledge from, I didn't know it was business. I just decided to do something. There's no benchmark. There's no line to follow. It is really hard in that sense, running a business like that, because there's no blueprint. There's nothing to follow. But I guess, again, maybe I am a role model in this sense and that there'll be more that comes, you know, more people that can follow my lead and can take what I've done better you know my only hope I guess for thyself is that it continues whether that means that I'm still leading it or someone else leads it that's just what I want because I think it is one of very few brands and I think it could be as big as the goops and all the other companies well what's incredible is it takes a type of person to feel like that in a situation and do something about it versus feel like that in a situation and just go well I'm not going to come back you know, that's what I love. That's the special sauce in like Chloe that kind of, rather than just goes, wasn't my vibe. I'm just not going to go back. It was like, I'm going to create a movement from this and we're all going to, like, that's what I love. I'm like, feel like I just want to bottle it up and be like, if everyone can just have this approach to a serious. Yeah, that's so true. But it's like, imagine the world where everyone took action from experiences to create a positive follow on from it versus just kind of shut the door on something so that was in 2018 that's when it all kind of started a few years later you've you've mentioned your son you went to motherhood you've got the most gorgeous son you're biased I'm not biased so I can say that to you what was your journey into motherhood like I would say that my journey into motherhood probably started a very long time ago I was always in a mothering role that's why I say about being a woman but also being a black woman as well I've always taken that role of carer so I think I've always had access to it I wasn't completely thrown by being a mother although it's hard it's hard and it's very tiring and what I learned before was that I can give them back but this one belongs to me and is with me all the time my journey started a long time ago but what I would say is that I wanted to be an experienced mum in the sense of I wanted to get a lot of experience before I had my child. That's why I think I thought, oh, I had that thought a long time ago about my career. You know, I was always thinking about what kind of mother I want to be. And a lot of that is about changing what has happened before me, the line that I come from being that kind of pivotal change. And I do think he's on that track, which is great. Hopefully he wants it, but that's what he's giving. But yeah, so motherhood, I just wanted to be an assured, experienced and confident mum. I wanted to be the experiential mum as well. So I wanted him to have lots of different experiences. So 
I had to live that. So all the things that I want for him, I have to live, you know, I want him to adapt to more of a wellness and more of a holistic way of living. So we have that in our home and I'm working towards that because to be honest with you, my self-care and my wellness, things that I really champion and the things that are really important to me has kind of, yeah, it's decreased since having my son for sure. I don't work out half as much as I would like to, or I feel as if I need to. And I don't have as much time for myself. But at the same time, you know, I'm giving my son so much energy. And I know I can see that in his ability to do things, the way he develops really quickly. Like he's two months off a two and can count to 15. And he can sing songs without prompting. And he hums melodies. And he, you know, it feels as if in the last two weeks we started having conversations, which is wild. So yeah, motherhood is such a journey and I know that I'm just at the start of it, but I feel like I've been through so much. I'm quite open with the fact that I am a single mum and I was made or single motherhood was created in me since I was four months pregnant and I've had to do it myself and had to mother with a lot of trauma as well. So there's a lot that I've been putting aside in terms of my self-care, but at this point, two months off of two years, I'm ready to make that happen now I don't want my son to go on having this version of me because I know he can have better and I know that I can be better and that will serve us both I think I've just had my head not in the sand just been on a roller coaster going along with life not giving myself much time to actually reflect and have some me time but now I'm ready to do that and yeah I, I think a lot will happen in the next couple of years yeah well I think it's really hard and I think everything you're saying it kind of, it resonates a lot in terms of, I feel like we always have this guilt of you want to be this perfect role model because that's what they see. And you just want to be like the best mom you can ever be. But, and obviously in an ideal world, you would have done like an hour of yoga, had a green juice and like a million other things before they've woken up. But like, that's just not a reality. No. And I want to, the thing is, I actually want to be able to do that stuff with him. I think I just need to organize myself. I, it's very lucky that we're having this conversation now and not a week ago because everything happens for a reason, because I just came from um, some CBT therapy. So it's really helped me organize my life. But that last trip, that, that holiday that I had and just I'm turning 36 on Wednesday, it's just a moment for me to be like, it's not about being perfect, but there are certain things that I need to keep surviving and to be the best mum that I am to him. I don't need to be the best mum in anyone else's eyes, but just to him. I want to feel as if I'm giving him the best that I can. What do you do in that situation? Like what what does your support network look like or the one that you're kind of maybe it comes in phases, right? So you'll have like a support network now. Yeah. I always say like it takes a village. So you mentioned you're a single mum, but it's impossible to mother entirely on your own. Like whether it's childminders or nursery or family or friends there are people around us that help us continue as a mum what does yours look like right now how do you do it the people that know me really well actually say you know you're doing an incredible job because they actually know that I actually do do it alone like I literally do it alone I've had childminders I've had help but they they're only set phases whether I get rid of them because they're not good or you know there's issues that I've think of red flags. It's been tough finding that support system. I do have family, but as I said, a lot of issues in my family, especially in the last couple of years, mean that I just have a lot of trust issues and it's brought up a lot of old wounds as well. So 
I'm almost mothering myself, relearning mothering as the small child, Chloe, as well as, you know, being a mother to my son. My support network now does look like we've got one nanny. She's good. She's quite young and Zuri loves her. She's really, really good. I do have family, so my gran helps out sometimes. My mum helps out. I, I could ask for help a lot more, but I don't because I think sometimes comes with conditions and in my family behaviours that I just don't want that really don't help me at all. I could ask my friends a lot more um, and I will get to that point, I think. I just need Zuri to be more confident in himself and also talking so he can say, I want my mum, can I call mm. my mum? You know, I just want him to have that confidence and be able to speak a lot better not because my friends aren't doing well just because a lot of them don't have children just very different so they the ones that don't have children they they still almost live in like a bubble and I get it because I used to be that person too but what they think motherhood and parenting is is very different to what the reality is and it's so easy for them to point the finger and say oh I wouldn't, wouldn't do that or I don't agree with that but you're not a parent you have no idea what it looks like and from being pregnant to having a child, there's no breaks. There's no breaks. How did you do it in the early days? So you've got this really small child when they're so demanding on your life. You know, you're there, they need you so much. Like, how are you managing your work and everything in and amongst all of that? So my gran stayed with it, stayed with us quite often, and that was helpful. She's honestly the next person in line. But as I say, like that's my grandmother, so that's his great grandmother. She's obviously getting very old, so I do worry what that looks like. I'm just hoping that we have her for like the next few years because it's a great bond that they have, and she's the only other person that I completely trust with him completely. So I had her. And then I had a childminder who came on board. She was good in some senses, but she she wasn't like 100%. So we had her for a long time. I say up until last, no, early this year. But she would just do things like be late, which would cause me a lot of issues. And yeah, just certain things, lifestyle things I just wasn't keen on. So that's how I managed, I would say, for the first year. But I was literally, I took on a job. I did a, I worked on a Google campaign at six weeks pregnant. So I was literally on Zoom calls, like breastfeeding at the same time, but obviously at this level. So you can see what was going on. Wow. Yeah, thank God for Zoom. Yeah, so I was doing that, had the childminder, kept the business going. I've always ever just worked around him. So working in the evening and trying to, trying to make it work. But now... My support system looks like I've got a PA, so Nadine, shout out to her. She's been really helpful. I've got a new girl. I've had so many social media people, but social media is crucial to our business. Um, I've got a social media person, and she's incredible. She's doing really well so far. But that is like my support system. You're incredible managing all of that around having a child and not having kind of full-time childcare that you can rely, you know, you can otherwise rely on. And I guess you kind of just found a way that works really well for you and Zuri. And you're so ambitious. You, you were on this entrepreneurial journey. Did you think having a child changed your ambition or the way you saw your career? Do you think something changed in your head when that kind of transition happened? Because it does for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, so I think I really questioned whether I want to do this anymore, mainly because I 
think motherhood is really important to me and doing a good job. But what I maybe never put together is that the fact that I'm able to do this is because I work and it is because I have this career and I'm going to be the kind of mother that I want to be because I also have this outlet, which is my work. No. So that's something that I had to really, I'm still kind of working through because sometimes I just don't have, I have the plans, but I don't necessarily have the motivation to do it. And I can't physically do everything myself, which I'm so used to doing. Also, it's not healthy to do that. But sometimes, you know, that saying, if you want to get things done, do it yourself. I really struggle to do that because obviously I'm split so many different ways now. I think people are really conflicted. I, I often hear two answers to this question. One is, I thought I was really a you know, I was this big career person, I had a child, and I just felt this calling to spend as much time as possible with them. And I didn't want to tear myself away. And actually, my career became a much lower priority. Or people say, it spurred me to want to achieve and do bigger and better things because of what that could mean for them growing up. But obviously, that would then mean more time apart. And I'm really conflicted as well, because I'm like, well, both things feel important. And I never know how you kind of can't do both. So it becomes really difficult. Yeah, I think I'm somewhere in between as well, to be honest. It does make me want to do bigger and better things at work. But then I'm also very aware of the cost that applies to my family and my household. So it's just a hard question. So hard. I know, I know. I kind of ask people because I'm like, tell me the answer. Help me, help me get the answer. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. As well, if you think about it, thyself is like the first baby of mine. That's my first creation that has actually been really successful. It's not the first, but it's the first major one. And my child is my actual creation, like me in physical form. He's so important. I just don't know. I think they're both equally as important. Obviously, one is a living <laughs> organism, so he needs to uh, survive. So that will always come first. But, you know, I've also got a community that is still riding for me and riding for what I've set up. So I can't lose it. No way. And I want to, okay, on the back of that community, and, and what you've most recently done is written a book, Take Care of a Black Women's Guide to Wellness. It addresses some big, powerful topics. You're talking motherhood, you're talking grief, you're talking loss, imposter syndrome, like huge things that a lot of your readers will be facing at different points in their lives. What does it mean to take care of yourself truly in these situations? I, I, sometimes I think self-care is a bit of a buzzword, but it's like, what does it actually, what does it mean? What does it mean to you? So self-care is a buzzword now. But originally it was coined, I always say that it was coined by Audre Lorde because she really brought meaning to it, but it actually goes way further than that, which I do document in the book because I go into the history of wellness and also self-care. And I want to not just draw knowledge to where it came from, who said it, but like why it was so important and how you can, you know, define each part of the kind of wellness reel. So I do go into that in the book and it's like financial wellness, physical wellness, intellectual, the list goes on, but there's essentially eight key dimensions. What I would say self-care is to me is that it's an action. It's almost like a commitment to taking care of yourself. It's prioritizing your physical, your mental and your emotional, as well as all the other reels like spiritual 
yeah, there's so many. But I would say it's an action that you take and a commitment that you make to preserving that ritual, that routine and preserving yourself. And like you said, it's not perfect. Like you were saying before, you want to do that bit more to look after yourself. And I guess I like that you're saying that because I think it kind of comes in waves. But the main thing is that you acknowledge here's where I want to be and then here's where I am right now. So you can kind of figure out there's a difference and then you've got to prioritise time to get there. Yeah, definitely. I think the something that people always miss out when it comes to well-being or wellness or just in the industry alone is that they're just not realistic with it. If you're a wellness practitioner, yes, you practice that every day, but are you really on that same frequency every day? No. You know, we're human beings. We have our moments. We have our highs, our lows, our in-betweens, our indifferences. And I think that's a part of wellness that I really love tapping into. And I really like honing into because no one say no one that's not correct hardly anyone focuses on that you know everyone focuses on the go 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 but no one focuses on the downtime or the downtime is always based on something other than yourself you know I do believe everything you have is within yourself whether that's direction whether that is you know capabilities it's all within so yeah the more time you have to just be realistic with your wellness your self-care your holistic routines yeah, the better you are. Yeah, I love that. It's so important. I feel like I want to ask you a million more questions. I always feel like this towards the end of my conversations with people because I'm like, I kind of felt like we was just getting started. I want to ask so money, but I can't because I don't have you all day and you're very busy. Um, but I do have one final question and I just want to get a feel from you as you look at your life now, what's next for Chloe? Like what's your hope for the future when you think about yourself career you as a mother life what do you see for yourself so I feel as if I need to be more confident and to some people they'll think what she's so confident already but you are seeing you are you they have access to me via the internet and that is essentially a curated space so it's what I want to put out it's not always my current feelings and my current emotions and also once I have those emotions I am able to share those but again it's not going to be at the moment it's going to be when I've had time to digest it then curate it in a way that is going to reach you and it's going to look you know like my branding so I definitely want to be more self-confident because there's certain things that I question myself on on a daily basis there's a way that I portray myself in everyday life that I think needs to be just rejigged. And I think having more rest, everything I've spoken about in my book, I just need to apply that to myself because for so long, I've been in that support role where I've been doing everything for other people. That's always been my family, my friends, my community, and now it's my son. And I feel as if I'm in a point where I need to just do it for myself now. So I'm going to continue and hopefully push thyself we're working towards 2.0 version which is five years down the line so we're going to be five years in October I want to see a new version of thyself um I want to be able to present that to the world I want to have some new income streams in terms of thyself so it can continue running for itself and in my own career I would like to see some changes if possible most importantly I just want rest I want to be you know, confident in myself. I want to be confident in my family, my home. I want to see me and my son travel a lot more. 
which I mentioned to you before we started recording, is that I would love to explore world travel and world school for him instead of having him be institutionalised and go through what I went through and have to push against those same barriers. Because although it's been years, there's so many years differences, I think those things still apply. And the world hasn't shifted as much as we think it has due to what we see online. I think the real world looks very different to what it does online. So yeah. I, I do see a very bright future for myself and I need to keep on like believing in that. And that's that same belief that I had when I started myself and really started in my career. I need to kind of just hone in on that again because it is possible. If I've got this far, I can definitely get further. That was the most beautiful way to end. And you said at the beginning, you're a really open person. And I thank you for that because you have been so open over this conversation. And I love that when, you know, when you ask someone what they want to do with their future, so many people might talk about material possessions or whatever. And you're just like, it's just about you yourself and actually looking after yourself. And really in life, if you don't have health within yourself, you have nothing. And so I think that is such an amazing mentality to take that as the kind of key thing that you want to focus on so and don't get twisted I definitely want it all I want it all but that will come from me being my best version of myself so so true (laughs) oh Chloe it's been so great to chat to you thank you so much for coming on today thank you for having me I really appreciate it Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to leave me a quick review and subscribe. It helps us reach a bigger audience of women more than you know. And if there is an awesome individual who needs to share their story on this podcast, I would love to hear from you. My details are in the description below. I will see you next week.